Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth, and you are here with Iron City Rocks. Hey, what's happening? This is Phil with Machine Head, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Yeah! Hey, Rockers, this is Danny Noden from Shadowside, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Paul Mazurkowitz, the drummer from Cannibal Corpse, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome once again to episode 178 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John, coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you some really cool stuff this time. We have joining us for all the way from Brazil, Shadowside vocalist Danny Nolan. Uh, those of you not familiar with Shadowside, we're going to give you a little intro, a little primer to the band, just a few moments. But what we're going to start out with is drummer extraordinaire extreme metal legend Paul Mazurkowitz of the band Cannibal Corpse Cannibal Corpse will be coming through uh, the market of Pittsburgh on the 24th of November they're playing Mr. Small's Theater uh, so we caught up with Paul to talk all about uh, the tour uh, his regiment for his preparation for his drum work writing uh, even the newest album Torture we talk about uh, and a few other uh Pretty cool things. We have some users uh, submitted questions for Paul as well. So, what we're going to do? We're going to play a track from the latest album from Cannibal Corpse, which is called Torture. This song is called The Strangulation Chair. They are the murderers now 
proficient at the history of death metal, but, you know, a, a band that has been kind of a pioneer in that, you know, from an outsider's point of view and achieved, you know, a decent amount of success. If I'm not mistaken, your last album debuted in the top 40. Am I correct on that? Right. Yes. Yeah. I think yes. it was uh, 38, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that something that, I mean, you guys, I mean, obviously this has been, been rolling over the last, you know, the better part of 20 years. Did you ever foresee this level of success with, with the kind of music you guys make? Uh, not not at all, man. I mean, yeah, we're just we were just teenagers playing some crazy music back in the you know mid to late '80s there. And mm-hmm. uh, um, the way we looked at it, uh, we were kind of just moving with this whole new uh, kind of wave of of, of thrash, kind of getting more intense, and I think basically turning into death metal in a sense. And we were riding that wave. So, um, like I said, back in the when we started, you know, 24 years ago and all that. I mean, we were just you know young kids just playing music we love to play and really not looking any farther than that immediate future kind of a thing you know yeah. writing the next song playing the next gig kind of a thing so for us to be going on for this long and for all the things that have happened with us with the band and the success we've had and all this kind of stuff I mean we would have never ever obviously would have thought of this it, it not not in the least bit I mean you know you're just hoping that you can survive like I was saying like the next day let alone thinking you may sustain a career that's going to be a half a century old I mean that's just yeah. you know that never would have crossed our minds, you know. And and it is still kind of weird to think back and and to and to just think we're still living it. And here we are. We're still moving forward and arguably doing better than we ever have. Like you were pointing out with the uh, success of our our our, our, la- our latest record. So uh, so it's good to be still relevant, I guess, and to uh, you know to to still be around and and to mean something. I mean that's uh, that's very important to us. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at. I mean, you guys started this this ship kind of sailing in 1988, and and you know, for those not old enough to remember 1988, a lot of hairspray. You know, Metallica mm-hmm. was kind of you right. know making their face shown on MTV for the first time. 
I mean, what did you guys, what were you looking at as far as other bands and peers that, that kind of developed your sound? I mean, because I don't remember hearing a lot of bands like you guys in that era. Um, I mean, there, yeah, there wasn't. Like I said, we were, you know, we were kind of shaping music as we went. Bands like Metallica and Slayer and Creator and and Death Angel, or Dark Angel, Death Angel, all the uh, yeah. Anthrax, Exodus, all those bands, you know, that were uh, the bands we were listening to, which were heavy bands. You know, we we were just, uh, you know, like I said earlier, making this movement of taking that and taking it to an extreme, I guess. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why another point you brought up about being sort of pioneers i guess whatever you call it i mean mm -hmm. I, I i i you know whatever we are there you say godfathers pioneers all those i mean just the fact that we were there in the beginning i mean that's just yeah. it's such a big big deal to like i said still be going and be one of these bands that were you know in the defining era uh, years of this kind of music so uh so it's exciting and uh, and it's great to to see other bands influenced by this kind of music and by cannibal corpse i mean if we're going to get anybody that's uh you know we hear a lot of these bands and a lot of them aren't even, uh, you know, I mean, maybe you can't even consider them some of them these heavy metal bands, but so many uh, young musicians have been influenced by us that it's just uh, remarkable. And, uh, you know, we're, we just feel that, I guess, uh, we've done something positive in life. And if we can uh, influence anybody and, you know, be pioneers or what have you, I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're, we're glad that we can have been, have been of service, I guess, you know, to, to uh, been a part of this uh, great movement of death metal. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, uh, you know, how prevalent, you know, there's so many subgenres of metal now. It's it's dizzying, you know, with the mm -hmm. grindcore, deathcore, and all this, anything with a core. But I mean, right. your your influence as a band can be felt far and wide. You know, I think of a band like, uh, you know, the, unfortunately the the passing of the vocalist of Suicide Silence. But I know seeing Suicide Silence, right. like, you know, I can feel an influence from your work. In that, right. and these are young bands that are, you know, up and coming. You guys aren't a, a legacy act, though, by any means. Um, when, how would you say, you know, over the last God, twenty plus years, your drum te technique is is evolved? I mean, do you still approach the instrument the same way? Um, definitely not. I mean, I think it's it's evolved big time. I mean, I think we all have. I mean, you all, everyone should, in a sense, I would think, if you're really trying to better yourself in anything, whether it's music or what have you in life. I mean, um, you you should always, I think, thrive and strive to be better. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 for me, yes, my I've always done that, I guess. But my approach my approach probably has changed. My mentality has changed. You know, when you think about when you were younger and how your attitude was. I mean, you grow as people too. Like I said, uh, you know, in, in life you should mature, I guess, and you're going to get a little wiser, hopefully, you know, with age yeah. and experience and things like that. So, so I look at it as when I started, going, man, it was just all about, you know, fury and adrenaline and a feel. It wasn't even, it was there was no technique, there was no thinking about what, you know, how I'm playing or, you know, how to approach this double bass part. It, it, you know, there's only one way. It's go for it, you know. Yeah. Um, and that was my attitude from the from the early days. I mean, in in a part, it's still there. But of course, over the years, the technique, the the learning, the you know, kind of schooling myself more properly has been you know been a, a, a more of a focus. Um, you know, so I think that brings us up to you know to this point, and you know, maybe a, a good reason why we're you know we're still doing well. And I think uh, 
you know, I think that I've uh, kind of stepped up my game a little bit. I think that's more relevant on and, and apparent on the new record on torture. Um, yeah. And I've been hearing a lot of good things about my drumming, and I'm glad to hear that. And I, I've, I've worked hard, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, like I said, you should always kind of change a little bit. I think try to approach things differently. Try to you know just do what you have to do to better yourself. And uh, and I think in these latter years we're realizing that more. And I am. I don't know. Like I said, if it's more of just being wiser, or, or you know, you're getting um, you know more mature, or whatever, and you're you know the brain seems to be you know it's more brain power these days than actual you know adrenaline, adrenaline like it was back in the early days. So yeah. Now, do you have a particular? I mean, with what you do being so physical, do you have a training regiment outside of you know away from the instrument that you need to to follow to be able to maintain, especially you know on a tour? Right. Um, not too much. I mean, I've always, luckily for me, um, you know, I've been fairly physical as a person, so I always try to stay active, I guess, and usually that's good enough for me as long as I'm sleeping well and eating well and all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, you know, I should probably get on more of a, of a regimen here. The older we get, the, you know, the harder it is to kind of, you know, to, uh, you know, kind of get back into it. For instance, you know, we just took off. Um, and we just got uh, did a little touring, and we were mm-hmm. home for a couple of couple of weeks now. And we we're about to, of course, start on this tour next uh, on Friday here. Yeah. And you know, we took a good week and a half off from playing, and I got back into it. And I'm like, gosh, I mean, it feels like I haven't played in months. I mean, you know, and I, you know, I, I albeit took a mo- a week off of not doing too much. You know, yeah. it's not like I overexerted. I relaxed, and but man, that whole week of just not doing too much, and then going, and then all of a sudden start playing every day, and you know, I I, I felt like, wow, this is. Uh, it's a lot harder to get back into it this way, you know. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, uh, yeah. The older we get, I think the tougher it is, harder to maintain. Like I said, luckily, you know, I feel pretty good once I get you know a good couple of days under it. Like right now, I feel fine. We played for, we practiced for a week. We'll practice for a few more days. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as we hit the road, then we're in a groove. You know, it only takes maybe. Uh, you know, a show or two, and you're, you know, ready to your your, your body's back. So yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, now that you mentioned it, probably in the future here, I'm going to really have to start working on more of a regiment than I ever have, I guess, just yeah. to, you know, to, to go any further, you know. Yeah, I mean, you guys don't, you, you know, you know, as a, as a, I'm not a drummer by any by any means, but when I listen to you know the music, that doesn't sound like something that a novice is going to be able to do, you know, for an hour and a half, two hours a night. Um, without some serious cardio work. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it took me uh, years, of course, to build up, you know, the energy and the stamina and all that kind of stuff to, to you know, to be able to maintain it, I guess, every every night. Um, so, exactly, the more I'm away from it, and if I'm not really up to, you know, because I've never been the greatest of, you know, I'm not a big exerciser, you know, I like to like to do, uh, you know, play, play sports and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I'll go and, you know, I'll play hockey or I'll go and run around for a couple hours, but, man, get me to, like, actually get into a gym or something, it's, yeah. like, you know, impossible. I wish I had a better you know kind of mentality to do that um but i'm going to have to start something i think soon here because yeah the longer i take off the worse it gets yeah now when you guys sit down to write you know and, and i don't know if the new album uh, torture was any different but when you you know you're involved um in the writing process on a lot of the tracks um and you've contributed lyrics and things like that i mean how do you guys formulate a new song do you uh, kind of jam it out as a band and then you know try to fit you know a theme of the vocals to a song or how does how do these songs evolve when you guys write 
Well, that's been a, an ever-changing kind of process over the years as well. But I would think, and I would say definitely within the last, you know, four, five, six albums, you know, the main way of writing is pretty much a, of an individual um, matter. You know, one guy's going to sit at home with the, you know, Alex, Rob, or, or Pat for the most part, writing, you know, the riffs and coming up with the song in the in its entirety for the most part. Yeah. Now, it just depends on the exa- the writer what, how that still creative creatively comes together for for instance, Alex, the way he has been writing in the last few years, he's totally, you know, Mr. Pro Tools and on the computer, got all that kind of every, you know, every everything at his disposal that way, which is great. You know, it's a great way to be able to, you know, to write things and get them to get them to the band members. So he'll actually write, he'll write a whole song, have it transcribed for the guitar players, actually have drum music for me or parts, you know, have a MIDI file that he sent to everybody with drum machine, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, this is basically, this is what he wants to song to be. Now, it might change a little bit, but for the most part, here's the, the basis to the song that he wrote. Now, if Pat or Rob are writing, they're not as, you know, we're not as tech with them right now, so we're more a little old school. So, if, say, if Pat's writing a song, he have, he might have, you know, all right, I got a good six, five, six riffs. I kind of know where I'm going with it. I kind of, you know, got an idea of where to connect things. Let's get together and do this, you know, and that's me and him getting together and then kind of formulating the song together um, and kind of the way Rob works as well. So, but for the most part, it's done with the individual guy. Nowadays, uh, you know, if you're looking back for the first three records, yeah, that was written just pure. All right, who's got a riff? All right, we're all in the room together. All right, you got a. All right, well, all right who's got? Okay, well, there we go. All right, here we go. Song's done. You know, and it could have been three guys coming up with who knows how many riffs per song, or sure. two guys did, and one guy contributed one part. I mean, that really does not happen for us anymore. Um, so basically, like you know, it's just that way. We get together, you know. With 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 the guys, once you know everybody learns kind of their parts, kind of thing to the songs and stuff, and then of course they still have to come together as a band. But 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 yeah, ninety nine percent of the songs written these days are pretty much like you said by an individual, one of those one of the string instrument guys that are are, are writing the songs. So. Right and now, when you do your drum tracks, do you still go to analog? When you record those, or do you go straight to Pro Tools? We've we've gone to Pro Tools on the last um, uh, at least three records, okay. if not more, maybe four. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, we've been using we've been utilizing Pro Tools. Um, we just man, it's so much easier to do things. I mean, we obviously do as much as we can, you know, to be in there and doing it as live as we can do it, you know, yeah. under you know under the circumstance. But it's still good to be able to you know to, to just to do it in a digitally. It's just so much easier easier so much you know um you know i think for the producer for the band i mean you know we got we got no problem doing it but that we've been doing that for years i can't remember exactly when the last analog now that i'm thinking about it yeah it's been it's been a little while so now you guys work with eric uh Rutten, uh for a couple albums now i mean is he um uh, is there a particular reason you guys kind of enjoy working with him is he bring something unique to the mix well, I mean, yeah, it's been our third one with Eric. He did mm-hmm. Kill and Evisceration and Torture. Um, I mean, he's a great guy, great producer. He's come into his own um, really ever since we, we when we used him for Kill, probably around 94, 95, mm-hmm. is when he started really getting a good buzz going with his productions and things. And um, But we knew him as a, as, an, as, a, as, a, as a person, of course. He's a very good friend of ours. He was a good, very good friend of Alex's. And... Um, 
of course, just his background of being a death metal guitar player. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, that I think is the biggest key which he's bringing to the table and which he's going to bring pretty much bring then most that most producers aren't going to be bringing. You know, we've we've worked with great producers. Every producer that we've had that we've worked with has been awesome. Great. Can't say one bad thing about these guys. They don't and they all do work differently, of course. But Eric, the one thing that stands out with him is being his knowledge, his background, where he comes from. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to know it more so than any of these other producers because he's living it like we are, you know, as a yeah. death metal guitar player in, in a band and all that kind of stuff. So um, so that I think that was, you know, that that helped a lot. But, uh, yeah, but just like you said, such a great guy, great worker, you know, awesome work ethic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's cool to have somebody that we really respect and we like as a person, as, like you said, our friend, you yeah. know, to, you know, to be, uh, uh, you know, working on these records. So. Yeah. Have you found over the last, you know, especially I'd say the last 10 years, you know, I, I think of you guys and I, I, I automatically kind of conjure up the Saw movies in some respect. Have you found that, like, the overall acceptance to the lyrics, and obviously there's been a, you know, a history of controversy over the lyrics and the artwork and things. Have you, have you found that to, to be less of an issue, uh, than it was just because of, you know, society's overall desensitization? Citation to that kind of right, stuff. Right. Yeah, I, th- I totally think so. I mean, you know, come on. Back when it was, I mean, you know, horror movies have been around for a while mm-hmm. and all this. But, but yeah, exactly. Not to the extent of it is today, you know, yeah. with the movies you're saying, like Saw and all this. I mean, it's like, come on. This is record-breaking numbers, I think, if you really look back and probably figure the figures of how, how many horror kind of movies have probably come out with, and, you know, come out in the last, say, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, with us, it was kind of the same thing. I mean, here you got music, which is, you know, broad in every aspect of, you know, so many genres and everything. And yeah, you got heavy metal. Ooh, that's the bad boy of, 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 of the music genres back yeah. is heavy metal. Okay. You know, so when you think about it and they, what heavy metal was in the seventies and the eighties, like they're saying, the music, uh, what kind of bands were around? I mean, you know, it's some pretty intense stuff, but how intense is it really? You know, yeah. I mean, so when I think when we were coming around and all it, when it was starting to transform and, you know, that late 80s, early 90s, when you're, you know, somebody's going to walk into a record store and see an album cover like a butchered at birth and go, oh, my holy, what that, what is this? Yeah. I mean, this is like crazy, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I think, yes, 20 years later, 25 years later, is it going to have that still same kind of shock? Maybe to some people, but I think overall, like you said, I think everyone's pretty much going to be des- desensitized at this point, you know? Been there, done that kind of a thing, you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, so I think there's going to be some people that are still going to be like, ooh, you know, okay, that's, you know, a little shocking, eerie, you know, might give them a little bit of a scare or whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think overall it's going to be, you know, that, that day's done, you know? I mean, yeah. Um, you know, so. You think of, you think of almost like, you know, shock rockers in the 80s, and, you know, obviously guys mm-hmm. like Ozzy, you know, kind right, of come right, to mind, right. and you listen, you know, listen to his <laughs> yeah. music, and then you listen to things yeah. that you find on, on terrestrial radio today, and, and you know, Ozzy <laughs> sounds pretty, you know, light FM-ish. Oh, I totally, exactly. Or even the things they've done. I mean, you know, he did a couple things with the bat. Yeah, those are pretty yeah. brutal. But, you know, just like, ooh, Alice Cooper. I mean, that was, you know, wow, that's a scary show probably back in the 70s and just like very demented. Not, you know, and then you look what uh, people are doing today. Exactly. It's just like that's, you know, yeah. child's play for them for the most part. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's weird, weird. But um, we have a question submitted by a listener. Um, when you guys, you know, you obviously went through a lot of um, – uh, BS and things like that because of the lyrical content and stuff in the 90s uh, and the overall stigma of death metal. Did you guys ever at any point consider kind of changing course on, um, you know, the kind of music or, you know, anything like that? 
Nope, never, never once. Um, we are who we are. Um, you know, Cannibal Corpse is meant to be what it is, pure extreme death metal. And uh, and that's that always been our attitude. We've never, ever thought of doing anything else other than, you know, maybe are writing a song like, you know, Evisceration Plague, Sentence to Burn, a slower song that we never yeah. thought we would have written. But but the way we look at it, those slow songs are heavy as can be. So, um, you know, we don't think we've ever, we felt like we've compromised even in that way, you know, by, oh, we wrote a slower song. So it's it's more of a mellow, no, not a, at all. I mean, I think yeah. if you hear any of our slow songs, they're just, they're they're probably more eerie and creepy than our, yeah. know, than our normal stuff, you know. So, but no, never, we've never once thought of changing anything with the band lyrically you know conceptually or anything like that because cannibal Corpse is what it is yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because i mean some of the you think of bands you know we, we were talking earlier about how your band has continued to evolve and become more successful maybe now than ever right. by sticking to your guns and how many bands that that right. ends up ultimately being true the bands that try to change to the flavor of the right. month end up on the right. right side so it's great to hear i know yeah, I mean that's and, and it's unfortunate. It happened so many times, and it happened so many times to bands that we grew up listening to and loving. You know, back in those days, and I think that was a big kind of a motivator for us to never be one of those bands. You know, I mean, I know for me personally, definitely, I've I was you know how many times are you heartbroken by a band? You know, they're you, you buy their first album, all right, second album, and then their third album. You're like, exactly, what are they doing? You know, what happened? You know, you, yeah. you, you're, you're when you when you're a kid too, when you're like a teenager, and you're so you know. Impressionable and everything; those things really do make a big difference in your life, you know. When music is that important to you, so uh, I, I do remember going, you know, when we had the opportunity and we were, you know, exactly being able to be a band that signed and you know put a record out and everything, and you know, we we never wanted to be one of those bands, you know, especially when you know we knew how the fans felt about us from the day from day one. Just man, we got some hardcore, you know, fanatical, just cult following kind of fans, and we know how important it is to. Them. And man, that's why we always want them to rely on us, and we want to be able to deliver to them because we—I know how important it is to have that in your life. So, uh, you know, I think that was a big motivator to not be one of those bands. Yeah, I think of, of another band from your hometown uh, of Buffalo, who was also a metal blade, the Goo Goo Dolls, and right, you know, right. you know they've evolved to you know <laughs> right. somewhere online. They went from being kind of almost a punk band to yeah. you know my dentist. Yeah. Soundtrack. In the <laughs> I last know, couple years. And, and I, yep. I love the band. I mean, they're a great band to sure. survive, but they, yeah, they, are. they have not even close to what they started out as. You know? No, not even close. I mean, obviously, they wanted to do what they what they've done, and they probably had more success at that. So, I mean, yeah. albeit whatever they want yeah. to do. Um, so, but yeah, if you were a fan of the early stuff, you know, and that's the band you loved, well, chances are you probably don't maybe love them now as much as yeah. you did. I guess. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, I know. Yeah, I know what you mean, but, um, but yeah, no, they're great guys. Uh, one other question from a fan, Dave Persh, uh, wanted to know any particular place you guys have toured all over the world, any particular place that, uh, you like to eat when you're on the road, particular town with a, uh, you know, maybe an out of the way place? Uh, well, nah, yeah, there's a couple places. I mean, the one I'm thinking offhand for myself personally, because, uh, you know, there's not too many I got like that. You know, I mean, it's more like just kind of finding a food you like, going, oh man, love Thai food. Let's find the Thai food restaurant, right? But Matt, not that you mentioned that, if you want to get specific, there is a restaurant in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico called The Frontier. I will highly recommend it to anybody. I mean, it's a good south, south, you know, southwestern kind of Mexican kind of place, you know, um, and they specialize 
fries and like these burritos. And the place has been, I guess, there since, I don't know, maybe, I can't remember, the 50s or something. There's actually a website if you did research it, Frontier Restaurant in Albuquerque. Um, but, uh, man, they have this burrito that I just, man, somebody took, my friend of mine took me a couple of years ago when we were on, ro- on the road. You know, we play Albuquerque quite often. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you pretty much stay in the area if you've got no friends, nowhere to go. You know, you're yeah. not venturing too far. So we always stayed in the same area where we always played and, you know, some restaurants to eat there, whatever. So finally, somebody, a friend of mine that actually came, had somebody that, you know, lived there, hey, recommended this restaurant, a local. Oh, hey, okay, sure, let's let's go. You know, when you're getting recommend recommendations by locals, and it's usually probably a pretty good thing. So, yeah, yeah I, I had this burrito, and I was just, man, I couldn't stop thinking about this. I mean, yeah, I'd be like on, you know, getting home and, you know, waiting and going on the road. Oh, man, we're going to Albuquerque. So, so on this last tour we did, I think it was last, uh, it was a few months ago, I finally made it back over a couple of years, and I just savored that moment, man, because it was incredible. So you're there nagging, you go, Frontier. You're nagging the booking agency to get you through to Albuquerque. That's a good, that's a good endorsement. Right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Awesome. So, yeah, oh, well, that was good. Paul, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule. It's been great talking with you. You guys are coming in on the 24th to play Mr. Small's Theater. A uh, great yep. place to see an extreme show. Um, it seems like all the, the good extreme and death and black metal bands hit that place, so it's going to be a good time yeah. for sure when you guys get it. It is. We can't out. wait. Yes, we can't wait. All right, Paul. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, sir. I appreciate the time as well. Have you ever listened to an album and thought to yourself, man, I could do so much better than that? Well, here's your chance. My name is Sue, and I've decided to write my next album live and online at RageAndApathy.com. So come on over, leave me a comment, and tell me what you think about the album and where you think it should go. And as a bonus for you Iron City rockers out there, I will give you an exclusive copy of the first song as soon as I get it finished. So stop on over to RageAndApathy.com and join my madness. All right, again, a big thanks to Paul Mazurkowitz of the band Cannibal Corpse for coming on the show. Again, they will be at Mr. Small Theater, which is in Millvale, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh, on November 24th, playing a show. Uh, you go to CannibalCorpse.com, you can check out all their tour dates. The new album, uh, newest album, I should say, Torture, came out earlier in 2012, available on Mega, available on Metal Blade Records, I'm sorry. I almost said Mega Force. They've been gone for how long? Anyway. Uh, we're going to turn our attention now to a band uh, that is doing very well for themselves in Brazil. Uh, our sister show, Wiki Metal. Uh, for those of you not familiar, Iron City Rocks is part of the Cast Iron Ring network of podcasts. So if you go to castironring.com, you can learn all about the other podcasts. And one of those is from Brazil, Wiki Metal. Uh, Wiki Metal has done a feature on this band. Uh, and they're trying to make some inroads into the United States. So we thought this would be a cool time to talk to them. Uh, sort of a power metal a band called Shadowside. So we have taken the opportunity to talk to vocalist Danny Nolan. So before we do that, let's give you a little taste of what the band is like. This is the track Angel with Horns.
Shadow side from Brazil. We have Donnie Nolan on the line. How are you, Donnie? I'm great. How about you? Fantastic. We are up here uh, in the uh, northern hemisphere, getting ready for um, what is going to be a, a winter. You're down in Brazil right now. Um, are, are you guys heading into summer? Am I? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. But it's summer all year long here. Yeah, we, we don't I guess. have anything we can call winter. <laughs> yeah, I guess that. Are you closer to, I mean, for those of us ignorant Americans, are you closer to, like, Rio or Sao Paulo, or, or where geographically are you from in the country? I'm very close to Sao Paulo. I'm from okay. an island called Santos. It's about an hour away from there. Uh, nowadays, with the, the roads really good and, mm-hmm. and everybody has a car, it, it kind of became like the, uh, a neighborhood, Sao Paulo neighborhood, you know, because yeah. all the guys from Sao Paulo come here for the weekend so they can can come to the beach and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's very, it's a very uh, urban-like uh, island. 
Yeah, I don't think uh, Americans, I, I know, I mean, when people think of Brazil, you know, up here we think of Rio, because we've heard of Rio, you know, Russian Rio, Iron Maiden in Rio, Rock in Rio. But I don't think people realize how enormous San Paulo is as well. I mean, it's just uh, mind-boggling. But um, Yeah. How did you get into music in particular, and, and heavy music in particular, you know, in your formative years? Well, uh, I, I come from a very musical family. Nobody is really a professional musician, but everybody loves music mm -hmm. in the way that nothing gets done here in my home uh, without music being played. So when I was like seven, eight years old, my mom kind of forced me to take piano lessons. I used to hate it, but I, it, I started getting into the music that she liked, like Queen. Uh, back then, I, I used to like Michael Jackson. I still do some, listen to some of his stuff. Yeah, it's phenomenal. My guilty pleasure. <laughs> Guilty as well. Guilty as well. <laughs> but uh, my cousin, uh, at that time, he was very big into Guns N' Roses, uh, Skid Row, bands like that. He eventually yeah. stopped listening to, to that kind of music, but for me, it was just a passion for hearing, you know. And from that, it escalated to, to bands like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. And it just got heavier and heavier. The more I, I, I would listen to that kind of music, the more I would love it. And it came to a point that, that I just wanted to, to make this my life. I wanted to, mm -hmm. to play music all the time. And when I was a teenager, I actually had plans to be a professional athlete. I was going to be a professional soccer player. Okay. But uh, I didn't really have time for my band because of that. Yeah. So music for me was, was just a distant hobby. I wouldn't even have time to, to practice with the band. So one day I got injured. It wasn't nothing major, but I would have to sit for like three, four weeks. And during that time, I had time to play with my band. And when it was time to come back uh, to, to the team, to come back to the team practices, I realized I would miss music more than I would miss soccer. And then I just never went back. My coach is probably still wondering until nowadays what the hell happened to me. What happened? <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I know soccer is certainly... Um you know, incredibly important, you know, especially outside of the U.S. I don't think it's quite caught on in popularity, but it's probably hard to serve two masters with music and uh, soccer. Um, and you also dispelled the, the myth that all Brazilians are, are mainly influenced by Sepultura, which is probably another, you know, Americanism when we think of, you know, Brazil, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, was, was it hard to find a, you know, when you put your band together, um, you know, being a female in that era, and there weren't a ton of heavy female-fronted bands, you know, early on. Was was that hard to, to kind of to break down that wall? It was a little bit, because when I started, it was exactly that time when lots of female-fronted bands started popping up, like, like you know, uh, everything, everywhere, there was uh, a new female-fronted metal band mm, okay. that wanted to be like Nightwish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. was just a fever. Everybody wanted to be like Nightwish or After Forever or, or, or wherever the, the new trend was. I actually like Nightwish a lot, but uh, my voice just doesn't, just doesn't suit that that music, yeah. you know. So I always wanted to be uh, a metal, very, very pure metal singer. And uh, I didn't really start listening to female from the bands until I was actually with my own musical personality formed. So, but at that time, everybody thought that every new female front of the band wanted to be like them, and it was kind of like kind of kind of a problem because we had to 
to wait for a long time. We had to be very patient because lots of people would say, I hate Shadowside because I hate Gothic metal. And we have nothing Gothic about us. Yeah. Lots of people would say, I hate female front metal bands. I hate uh, female opera singers. And I was like, but we are nothing like that, you know. And uh, we had to, to be very patient and very persistent because we had to wait for people to actually have the curiosity to come and listen to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to, to, to take the time to, to let them see for themselves that we were a different band. When we were playing shows, it was fine because people would see right on the spot that we were different, that we had a, a different idea. But on the Internet, it was very hard to get, to, to get people to listen to it. Lots of people liked Nightwish, but they were tired of punk bands. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest challenge that we had to face. Yeah. Now, when you when you guys kind of you know set out to make your mark and you know you started making albums, was the intent of the band to try to grow the following in Brazil, or did you have sort of international you know expectations kind of out of the bat? I mean, how did you? How was the plan to kind of grow the band, or, or did it just sort of happen? It sort of happened, but we we. We used to hear all the time that we would have to grow our audience internationally before we were successful here in the country. But I always thought that was a bit strange because I felt that nobody would really take us seriously anywhere else if we weren't at least a little bit successful at home, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I thought that was kind of like a legend. So we really started to to pay attention to, to the crowd in Brazil. But it did kind of happen that way, because when we started getting some attention in Brazil, we started getting some attention as well internationally, and things kind of kind of made uh, the others stronger, you know, it was like, like a circle, because the more we grew in our, own, uh, in our own home country, we started growing more internationally, and the more uh, success we get uh, internationally, the more we get attention here at home, so I think it's... It's kind of like a puzzle, you know, because you never know which way to go. That's very well said, because I've seen that even with, with, you know, U.S.-based bands where, uh, you know, there's there's a a band that that is from very near to my hometown who have tremendous success outside of our market. They do very well overseas. They do very well in, in the western part of the state. But when they're in town, don't draw all that well. But, you know, when you look at it, it's okay, wow, this band's making waves. They're playing festivals in Germany. Now they're coming here. You know, I should check this out. I should take them more seriously because somebody else did. It's almost like people want that validation from someone else that a band is good. Yeah, it does happen. It does happen a little bit. I think it's kind of normal, you know, because whenever something is coming from from your, your own backyard, you know, we don't even feel ourselves are that good. We always think yeah. the neighbor's better, you know, so yeah. it's kind of expected already. Yeah. Now, um, you guys have done um, some touring in the United States. You've been here several times, if I'm not mistaken. That's um, true. Five times, I think. Um, how, how are the yeah, – I've asked this many times of artists who had, especially South America, because we see these – you know, Rock and Rio type things where these enormous crowds. How do you compare the the U.S. and North American audiences to South American audiences? Do you do you notice a big difference? I do notice uh, some difference, but not too big. You know, I think most, the the biggest difference with playing in America is that people actually pay attention to the lyrics because they know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Here in Brazil, very few people speak English. It's it's very rare to find someone who can actually translate. 
one of the the, the lyrics accurately, you know. Yeah. I've seen lots of translations done by fans, and none of them, none of them whatsoever match the the, the what I what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest difference that I noticed. People would come to me and actually talk about the lyrics. You know, that was very unexpected for me the first time we played there. Because I, I was like, wow, someone some actually listening to the to yeah. the the words, you know. Yeah. And here in Brazil, they just go with the passion, you know. It's very much about what they feel, and, yeah. and not so much about the lyrics. So you you may be writing completely wrong sentences, and and they won't mind, you know. Yeah. But I, I think that that when it comes to to enjoying the music, it's very much the same, you know. People singing and and putting horns up. Yeah. The same everywhere. Yeah, now you you brought up a very interesting question when you, when you mentioned about English and and uh, you speak Portuguese natively. Yeah, yourself? my first language is Portuguese. Now, obviously, your English is phenomenal. So, was this something you were taught in primary school, or is this something you took up on your own? I had to take that uh, on my own because uh, the the English that we hear uh, that we learn in school here is very basic. Mm-hmm. We never really learn enough. To communicate, it's just like ordering food and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Just enough for a holiday, and uh, we get some Spanish as well. But I didn't start taking Spanish lessons until my my last year in in high school, so I didn't really learn anything. I just understand it because it's so close to Portuguese. But uh, my my uh, I've been studying English since I was ten, I think, okay. because my parents would put me in private lessons because mm-hmm. they knew the, the, the lessons that we got in school weren't enough. Yeah, I, I often wondered, you know, how much you could kind of absorb from, uh, you know, a Skid Row record. Uh, <laughs> yeah. learn some English but it actually was very helpful because I, I used to to see the official the translations in magazines. Yeah. That was kind of helpful. Yeah. Now, um, when you write lyrics now, do you write them in English then? Or, or do you uh, kind of get your ideas in, you know, in Portuguese and then trying to translate them yourselves? Or how, how do you approach that? I write them directly in English because... Okay. I think in Portuguese and then try to translate. It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense, you know. Yeah. And rhyming gets gets harder. It just doesn't match when you yeah. try to to when you have a good idea in Portuguese and you try to translate, you never manage to to make it successful. You know, the idea is good, but you never manage to to make the the metrics right. So it, it just becomes uh, an extra work. So it's easier to think in English. And I actually never wrote lyrics in Portuguese in my life. That's I'm actually ashamed to say that, yeah. but I cannot write in my own language. It just it sounds stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine there's some languages that are harder to to write in, even if you listen to you know the flow of, of certain languages. Like as as a person of German descent, I I don't know that I'd want to hear a lot of songs in German. You know, it's not. I don't think a language that flows as smoothly, you know, yeah. lyrically. Portuguese flows a little bit too much, I would say. You know, it's a very percussive language. And uh, it just doesn't doesn't feel well with heavy metal, you know. We played, uh, we recorded a song in Portuguese actually on in the Monster album, but it was a cover song. Mm-hmm. So it kind of made a little more sense because the lyrics are also simple, you know. But if you want to to actually make complicated ideas work, it, it sounds strange. It's yeah. very hard to make it work in Portuguese with heavy metal. Yeah. Now your your latest release, Inner Monster, out um, that's available. Now is that being distributed in the United States, or is that uh, more of a digital thing? No, Did it you? is. It actually is being distributed by Nightmare Records. Okay. And Great. finally, we, we are able to to put the the record out everywhere. You know, Japan, uh, the whole uh, Asian country, uh, Asian uh, continent. 
and Europe as well. It's available everywhere, finally. Yeah, which is great. I have to ask, the video for Angels with a Horn, um, with horns, I'm sorry, um, were you involved in the writing of, of the plot of that? Because when I watched the video, it seems like it almost has sort of a female perspective to it, or was that intentional? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of like we kind of made it a little more funny uh, with the video, you know, because we wanted to make it lighter. But it's very much about uh, a person that enjoys uh, playing pranks on people. You know, she's very innocent and very sweet, but she's also uh, she's also interested in seeing what guys would do for her. You know. Right. And um, uh, it was inspired by, by a true story that friends of mine would call, were calling me Angel with Horns because they felt exactly that, that I was able to, to be cruel, <laughs> but, but also very sweet. And uh, I decided to, to finally write that song because I accidentally called my favorite tattoo artist a uh, grandpa or something because, <laughs> <laughs> because we were at a tattoo event and I was hosting, hosting that event. And he was one of the judges. I didn't really know who he was. I knew he was a tattoo artist, but I didn't know who. And uh, he kept winking and flirting and smiling during the whole event. And I w wasn't sure what to do, you know. I was very embarrassed because yeah. I'm also shy. And at the end of the event, when nobody else was out there, you know, he came to me and he started talking to me. And then he gave me a card. And then I realized who the guy was. And I'm actually a big fan. Yeah. And I accidentally let out, dude, I'm your friend since I'm a, I'm a little girl. I used to see your tattoos in surf magazines. And then the guy just turned away and didn't say a word. And then I realized I had called the guy old, you know. I had <laughs> told him that he was old enough to be my dad or something. Yeah. And I just realized that when he just left, you know, he didn't say a word. <laughs> and uh, then my friend was with me and he said, you're becoming more and more like the angel with horns. <laughs> so that's that's why I decided to, to finally bring the song to life. Yeah, so you had already imitating life in this case. That's excellent. Yeah, it's a really cool video. I mean, it's very well done. Um, so you guys, um, you have toured with, uh, Iron. you did some shows with Iron Maiden, am I correct? We played one show with one them. Show with we were supposed to play another one. Unfortunately, we got cut from the bill in 2009 because it was an open air show, mm -hmm. and uh, the the rain that was there was a storm in the middle of the afternoon that delayed the whole schedule. Uh. And uh, we were supposed to be on stage at 6 p.m. and at 6:30, Maiden was still setting up. So they tried to come up with with a way for us to play that night, but unfortunately, it wasn't possible. The police was said. The show had to end uh, punctually, and uh, unfortunately we had to be cut. But Rod, their manager, he told me, he said, don't worry, we will remember you. And they, they sure did, and they asked us to play with them, support them in Rio de Janeiro on, in 2011. And just to give us a ballpark, do you have any idea roughly what size of crowd that would have been? Because I can't imagine what they would draw there. 18,000 people. Oh. That but in Sao Paulo, it was like 60,000. 60, yeah. They're that, pretty huge here. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, we're lucky enough, to, I guess we're lucky enough to see them and, and only be part of about a 12,000 person audience in the, in the States. But, uh, you know, it seems like they get bigger as time goes on. Um, yes, here in Brazil, they, they played for like 200,000 200, in, in Rio, on, on Rock in Rio. They were the headlines. Uh, it's, uh, some some pretty big audiences are not unheard of here in Brazil. Yeah, I mean, do, do you find that? I mean, like when you do, uh, you know, as a as a 
up and coming band, you know, as you were, you know, kind of making your way in the early years with the band. I mean, did you guys find yourself relatively playing to huge crowds too? I mean, or, or is it, do this are pretty small clubs and things like that still in that area? Uh, when we were starting, we used to play very small clubs, like 400 uh, capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, the, 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 the spot, the highlight of the evening was to, to pack that, that venue. You know? Yeah, I mean. And uh, as time went by, we started playing bigger places. We recently played a, a sold-out concert in our hometown, one of the biggest theaters in town. And we played for like 5,000 people in the countryside. So we were very patient, you know. We didn't yeah. try to pack venues bigger than, than our crowd was. So I think our secret was, was always to, to play a packed venue, no matter what size it was. If it yeah. was a 100-people capacity venue, you know, we just wanted to pack that. Yeah, feed off that energy. Yeah, there's, there's probably better to look at, like you said, see a packed venue than a, than a big venue that's half full. So that's, that's very interesting. Exactly. We have seen some artists play a 7,000 uh, capacity venue, and they had like 2,000 people. Yeah. And it was em- empty, you know. It was a, su- a success, actually, because 2,000 people is a considerable crowd. Yeah. But, but unfortunately, it looked just weird, you know. It looked very yeah. empty. Very yeah. It sucks the life out of it. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you guys have plans to, to head up north uh, to the states anytime soon? Yeah, we we are really looking into, and uh, we we are hoping that 2013 will actually make it come to life because we have been touring a lot here in Brazil. Mm-hmm. We have uh, like 10, 15 dates to play until December. Actually, in December, we are not going to to stop until Christmas, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then we really want to, to be in the U.S. again because we have only toured uh, the Midwest in the past. We yeah. loved everything that we saw in the Midwest, but unfortunately we never played many shows. And this time we are looking to be as long as we can in the country, you know, and just play everywhere that we can. We yeah. meet our old friends and we, we would like to make new ones as well. Yeah, I, I look at a band like yours and, and see somebody who would be, you know, perfect for one of, you know, there's several... Um, call them traveling festivals like Mayhem and um, the Uproar Festival and things like that that are have become kind of an annual thing, sort of a sister shows to something like Ozfest. You oh, know, that would be fantastic. You know, where you're getting out in front of a you know relatively short sets, but you're getting in front of a larger audience. You know, which really gives you great exposure. So it would be fantastic to see you guys come up here and uh, tear it up in the U.S. Well, I didn't oh, for sure. I want to thank you for taking the time out of the schedule and uh, giving us a call up here and uh, introducing the band to us up in America. I appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It was uh, 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 it was my pleasure completely. They're coming. The dunks. The dribbling. The four-point shot. The world-famous Harlem Globe Charters are coming to Pittsburgh. Playing the Consol Energy Center on Sunday, December 26th at 7 p.m. Give your kids the gift they won't ever forget. Tickets are available at Dick's Sporting Goods box office at Consol Energy Center, Ticketmaster.com, and all Ticketmaster outlets. Or charge by phone at 800-745-3000. The Harlem Globe Charters at the Consol Energy Center, Wednesday, December 26th at 7 p.m. 
All right, Harlem Globetrotters again at the Console Energy Center on the 26th of December. Uh, we will be giving away pairs of tickets to those uh, that game, so uh, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Rocks, twitter.com forward slash Rocks, and don't forget the mothership, ironcityrocks.com. You can email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. If you've got a band, uh, we'd love to hear from you, uh, both national and local uh, we try to cater to all audiences, so we would love to hear any feedback. Again, uh, feedback on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. If you go to the iTunes music store, search for Iron City Rocks. You obviously find the podcast and subscribe. We'd appreciate any comments on there as well and a rating that helps us. And also, if you while you're in iTunes, check out Iron City Rocks Connect, our mobile application, uh, which allows you to listen to the most recent episode of the show, find out information about the hosts, uh, if you're in Pittsburgh, you can get tour dates and things like that. So try to make it pretty useful. And also, as I mentioned earlier, we are part of the Cast Iron Ring. So visit castironring.com to learn all about our other shows. And check out the iTunes store for the Cast Iron Ring mobile app. So all of this is free. So uh, certainly no reason not to at least give it a shot. Uh, we want to thank you, each and every one of you, for taking the time to listen. As many of you will be listening prior to Thanksgiving, we wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you on the other side. Take care.